some people, that objective reality is that cybersecurity is like an insurance policy. You know, it's not going to happen to us. You speak to people who were impacted by WannaCry, they'll tell you they were collateral damage, they were not targeted. WannaCry was actually more successful than it was intended to be by the attacker. They didn't realize what powerful weapon they had built. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast. I'm Ian Porter de Leon. In this episode, we cover all things security from an enterprise perspective. This conversation, recorded with Dennis Anuoa, Chief Information Security Officer at Arkiva, covers the current realities that security tech leaders face in the very diverse and distributed threat landscape. Dennis and I discuss the importance of people, not only from an employee standpoint, but through the lens of the board of directors and the changing sentiment among boards on security strategy and spending in the wake of the various large breaches that have been experienced by companies around the world. So Dennis, I know things have changed over the last five or so years. Well, I mean, things have changed over the last decade. <laughs> Lots of change happening in the realm of security, which is where you live, where you breathe, where you spend time changing minds, hearts and minds. And now from a board level, from a business outcome level, can it give me a sense of your perspective with regards to how the board, how the executive team really needs to look at things like digital trust and things like building in security and risk management into the strategy of the business? I think from a board perspective, they obviously need to understand that firstly, considering it from the start actually demonstrates when you have a breach that you did apply due care. Because one of the famous sayings is it's not if, it's a when. Exactly. So you will. <laughs> well, it's going to happen. Correct. Yeah. It and is going to happen. Have people gotten comfortable with that? Like just if they settled into the fact that, okay, it's going to happen. Now let's let's do it differently. So some boards more than others. Some, it, I mean, it purely depends on what happens to your business, whether you go for a dinner and meet a fellow CEO who ha- has just been breached and tells you the whole pers- in a personalized way, not trying to sell you any products, how it's impacted them and their business. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is when the breach actually does happen, it affects the board mentally. Yeah. Oh, there's there's, there's more of a visceral response. I mean, Correct. I mean, it is. I mean, because that takes time to integrate that type of mentality into a board, into an executive staff, because you have to, just like anything, you have to experience it. You have to go through it. You have to really understand what it, what it is from all the different perspectives, employee impact, shareholder impact, customer impact. I kind of talk about how the breaches that have happened have changed that sort of culture and changed people personally. So the breaches that have happened have helped the culture change. So I personally, I look at the WannaCry attack on, obviously, that impacted the UK's National Health Service. Yeah. And I see that as cybersecurity's $1 billion marketing campaign. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really, I know that's actually a really fascinating way of looking at it now. So, because you do, you need, you need some campaigns, some, some things to happen because I think you have a unique perspective that a lot of people sell security software and tools based on fear, but nothing really sells it better than an actual event happening and, and that awareness around that. Correct. Because I mean, to some people, that objective reality is that cybersecurity is like an insurance policy. You know, it's not going to happen to us. You speak to people who were impacted by WannaCry, they'll tell you they were collateral damage. They were not targeted. WannaCry was actually more successful than it was intended to be by the attacker. They didn't realize what powerful weapon they had built, which is why I believe when I last looked about a year ago, they'd only made 100,000 US dollars from it. And if you think of how big the impact was, had they done it smaller, they would have actually made more money had they attacked smaller companies, but because it was that large, it's why I call it was very hot. Because effectively they had law enforcement from all corners of the world looking at them. It was a big boom. 
it was a big boom. And <laughs> I think it woke bots up when you have, I mean, I read The Wired did a good analysis on the Musk impact. And believe it or not, Musk was saved because one of the data centers in Ghana lost power while the attack hit. So wow. that was the only backup image that they had that was good. Effectively, yeah. it was a live image. That's a happy accident. But also it a big wake-up call. It is a happy accident. It's a big wake-up call. They were fortunate enough that they had a lot of cash. They had a CEO who was willing to let his team use his private jet to go around the world. Wow. And nice. maybe, like, nice. maybe we can have a, a, like, something like that happen. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But I mean, when you hear the stories, and obviously this is what has been written in the press, I wasn't there myself, so it's not for me, but I can imagine how hard it will be for me right in Barcelona, for example, to source 40,000 USB sticks yeah. so that I can rebuild laptops. I don't think they have that just sitting in the shelf. Yeah, yeah it could they be don't. shipped to me. <laughs> most, but most people don't do that, just kind of just waiting. Co- correct. Most people are not waiting. So I think boards are realizing they need to be prepared, number one. They're realizing that they, they need to demonstrate that they have done enough. It's a bit like, I mean, imagine if, I don't know, for example, a car manufacturer had a defect in a car and they knowingly didn't fix the defects yeah. and people started having accidents because they hit the brakes and the brakes just didn't work. That Correct. It's just, yeah. So, so to me, I kind of see it as boards now know they need to demonstrate trust and cybersecurity is just one lens of it. There's, you have ethics as well now. You know, you have companies who, I mean, Unilever are using artificial, emotional artificial intelligence to filter candidates all the way up to middle management level. Interesting. So yeah, first, it, it, go into that a little bit deeper, the emotional artificial intelligence. Yeah. You know, so like it's EAI. It's it's E E I A I E I A I basically. Great new acronym now, but I mean, go into the that D because that's really interesting. So what they're doing effectively when you when you apply for a job, if you were to apply for a job up to middle management level in Unilever, your first interview is answering an interactive video interview, and AI with emotional intelligence, the souped up AI as I call it, is actually looking to see if you're. Well, it's looking to see if you're lying. Is looking to see how you're feeling. You know, it's trying to understand you a lot better. And you now have this phase of, and the claim as well, that it reduces bias and brings them more diversity because they've trained unconscious bias out of the AI. Yeah. And you now have this position where tech is now trying to get into people's houses, into people's lives. And, you know, and if you just look at the, if we take the EI AI piece for one second, for millennials, fantastic. They glue to their phones. They'll love it. They don't want to get dressed, yeah. you know, and go for a job interview. Nope, they just <laughs> want their screens. But if you put sort of a middle-aged person, someone who was born before the iPhone was invented, yeah. you know, several maybe a decade or two before the <laughs> iPhone was invented. Yeah, if I, you put, I won't say how far you know before the iPhone was invented. I was born, so I'm just gonna leave that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you put if you put someone sort of of that generation in front of that, they won't like it. I mean, like me, I I prefer more people face to face, you know, so it's just different. But then you look at that, could you then program that AI through a security flaw to do something bad and reject people based on their race or ethnicity? Who's going to take the blame for that when that happens? Yeah, I mean, that's because that opens up, I mean, that's incredibly fascinating because that opens up a whole new way of looking at risk management. Because I mean, security is really just, okay, let's manage risk. And now you have risk of hiring the wrong employee. You have tools to do that. You have risks of that tool being used for the a malicious purpose. 
Yeah, that's part of risk. Do you find that things like now, like the emotional AI and screening of candidates, it's now starting to fall within that security bucket, within the realm of security? So you're now starting to manage all sorts of different kinds of risks that you couldn't even touch before. 100%. I mean, even if we look at day to day, we've got things listening to us as we're speaking right now. My phone's probably waiting for me to say, hey, something. I'm not going to say because it it's going to respond and yeah. be on the podcast. But yeah, but it is eerie. Like phone, when I look at my Google, like, you know, yeah. stream, like I'll scroll up and all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, wait, why is it talking about the new Star Wars trailer? And like, wait a minute, was I talking to somebody about it? And it is, it's, it's a little bit creepy, but that's part of that risk management sphere now. Correct. I mean, if you look at Netflix, the streaming providers, they now want to tap into your smart cameras in your house so that they can see your reaction to scenes in movies. And the reason they want to do that is to produce content you will enjoy. You know, because if you enjoy that content, you will consume it more. Now, what happens when your feelings that you keep private become public? And there's a melding too with, for example, like the consumer buyer process and the B2B buyer process is now like blending in. And now habits, consumer, and what you want and preferences are starting to be filtered in. Okay, well now B2B takes value in it. And that kind of leads into, now there's all this data. And there's different kinds of data, whether that's emotional AI data, whether that's behavioral data that's been collected. And now all of a sudden, you as a security person have all this different kind of data, uh, different kinds of sensitivity, different kinds of regulation. And now, okay, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to protect it? Or how are you going to manage it? How are you going to process it? All the different things. I mean, that just kind of blows my mind. Like, I mean, you have a really hard job. (laughs) No, hopefully, hopefully I'll have a job. But I mean, I I always tell myself I'll, I'll do a great job when I make myself redundant. then I know I've done a fantastic job when I'm no longer needed. And I mean, the other thing you have companies are now looking at is the unconsidered consequences of data loss. So if you look at Ashley Madison, for example, that breach will have led to a lot of divorces. You look yeah. at the Mar- you look at the you that's look right. at the Marriott bridge, for example. Yeah, that's, that's a different kind of risk. Though. You know, it's, it's a different <laughs> risk. You look at the Marriott bridge would have also led to consequences, be it for government workers that are somewhere where they're not meant to be, officially on paper, be it for businesses who are innovating products and have had room bookings in hotels where they're going to innovate, their trade secrets. You know, we just look at it. But one thing that I will tell people is don't get inundated by it. It's an elephant. Break it down. Start working at a small piece. Do not expect culture change overnight. That's why I expected. I was disappointed to find that. It yeah, didn't happen. People, because, you know, change is always about people and people you know, do not change very fast. Like you said, board members, executives, to really understand, wrap their head around security, there has to be a breach. They have to go through it. There has to be an intellectual and emotional process. And that's, I guess, the same with any kind of cybersecurity or whatever kind of change in management. That you're Correct. Doing. On the flip side as well, I've been very fortunate to work with a company where there hasn't been a breach to kick off security. That's good. It's more... That, look, that's look, that looks good on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but it's more the stewardships because with CEOs they've got the personal touch it's that baby they want to see that baby run well and as far as it's not me measuring the size or how good of a job I'm doing by my budget or how many people I have how much money I'm spending but actually delivering tangible business benefits delivering business efficiencies if companies implement context-based authentication so we know it's Dennis we have his flight details. We know he's in this country. He's logged on from that country. We know he's staying in that hotel. The IP he's come from is that hotel. We don't need to ask him for his username and password. After a 12-hour flight, yeah. that's a good employee experience. Yes, yeah, when it behaves you, when it knows you. It's like he knows it's, this is what you click on. You like you look at your email for this long. And it's eerie a little bit. It's charting your behavior. But it's also extremely convenient when you know this behavior can't 
be easily replicated and you it knows that it's you and just it's like you walk in and like oh I know that's Dennis because there you are yep correct <laughs> and in the digital world it's nice to be able to have that kind of you know that ease of fluidity it is and I think from a business perspective businesses are obviously changing with times consumers want things they want things quicker I was reading the other day I think in Gatwick Airport they were doing trials on boarding aircrafts and they've now started boarding them about four and a half minutes faster which makes a big difference when there's capacity issues because the plane can effectively take off five minutes earlier. And they've used tech. They've used sensors on the seat. They're now boarding them based on, right, we're going to start from the back when this person takes their seat. So the window seat, then the middle seat, then the aisle. It's that sequence. And it's using information. In London, you've got Transport for London now tracking. Why, if you connect to the Wi-Fi in the underground station, they're tracking your movement to understand what parts people take. So they could ease congestion, again, providing a better customer experience. You know, when I speak to my colleagues who work in Heathrow Airport, they want customers to have a seamless experience from check-in to the boarding gate, meaning no security or security, but you don't physically have to interact with it. You don't have to scan your phone. You basically get dropped off, drop your bag off, and you walk to the plane. With all the terrorist challenges, they're still want to enable that. And I'm sure they'll get there because if you look at airports like Schiphol Airport, I know, I think Los Angeles are trialing it. They're trialing out scanners that can actually sense liquids so you don't have to bring everything out because a lot of people are stressed when they fly. People are scared <laughs> yes. of flying. Yeah. You know, other people love the aircrafts and love the fantastic five-star gourmet meals you get. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, that meals. great food that you get. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I think in reality, CIOs, CISOs were effectively becoming enterprise leaders. That's my bottom line. And I'll share a personal experience of mine that I had over the course of my career. So when I was uh, probably about seven years ago, I thought, you know what? I'm a security guru. I know it all. I'm ready to move on. Okay. That sounds like my 10-year-old kid. Okay. <laughs> I know everything. Yeah. It's, a, it's a millennial, right? I've worked for you for six months. I want yeah. a promotion uh, yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. You know? So I thought I knew it all. I was planning on stepping out of my organization, which I have been with for 13 years now. So I was planning on stepping out seven years ago. And then I had a new line manager and they were like, Dennis, you're not ready to step out. I was like, what do you mean? So they brought me into the fold of business. So again, two years later, I understand why I need, I'm going to step out, I'm going to do it somewhere else. And I had a different manager this time around. Oh, Dennis, what about this, this and this? Up until I would say about 18 months ago when I had a new manager start. And he said, right, Dennis, have you considered doing an MBA? I was like, yeah, I have. I've read articles. It costs the same as buying a house. I could deposit that money in a house. And I'll make... And you only get a piece of paper? What is that? You only get a piece of paper. You do it. And bearing in mind, I already had a BS, a Bachelor's of Science. I already had a Master's of Science in Information Security. And I thought, oh, I'm not going back to university again. Not another two years mixing my life, you know, doing it. And to be frank, what I've learned has been phenomenal. I didn't expect to learn it. And I think one of the key pieces of advice to my peers is you need to keep on learning and you need to learn things you don't know. You know, you know the tech, the key word you mentioned, people. So my boss tells me, Dennis, the most important thing in any organization is people. And when you want to change or transform, you do the people first, then the processes, then technology, because people interact with those two latter things. And most people, because they have huge budgets, will go for technology. Technology is easy. It does what it says on the tin. It's easy. You you do a PowerPoint presentation. Great. Let's implement it. Let's shove it in. Correct. And then all of a sudden, there's no process behind it. And then a bunch of people walk into the office and they're like, what the heck is this new thing? Oh, you're going to get your training. (laughs) Join this webinar and you will know everything. 
correct. And there's another thing. So I listened to a professor from London Business School called Costas Marquidas. He has a lot of funny videos on YouTube if anyone has time. He's a really cool lecturer. And he asked a question to the room. So I'm going to ask you the question, actually. Okay, this is good. Is disruption a good or a bad thing, in your opinion? The disruption that's happening, is it a threat or is it an opportunity? Oh, it depends on which chair you're sitting in. So your chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> My chair. As a consumer, I think it's absolutely fabulous. I think it's wonderful that we have all these people that are like sort of disrupting old ways so that you have these monoliths that have done it the same way over and over again, you know, with new coming in. But at the same time, there's also a risk with the new people coming in. We had a great conversation with someone in healthcare where there's these great disruptive companies, but they haven't validated their technology. And their technology is supposed to be saving lives. If it's affecting someone's healthcare, well, you got to validate it first. So the disruption is great because there's new features, there's new functions, it's seamless, but you got to make sure that you actually get it right. So yes, disruption is good if done well. Correct. So you've just answered it exactly in the way he said. And what he said was when you look at disruption, you have to look at the threats and you also have to look at the opportunities. You cannot look at it from only the opportunities lens. Because if you look at it from the opportunities lens, you will miss and you will miss big at some stage. And we've seen that recently in aviation as well. Oh, wow. Well, well, Dennis, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you joining the CIO oh, Exchange you. podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.